Well, hello, everybody. Backstreet's back. All right. We are back with the Bible breakdown after what seemed like an eternity. It was only two weeks. Felt like an eternity to me. You may have forgotten it existed, but it still exists. Okay. And we are back. Thank you for allowing me a couple weeks off to uh, tend to my newborn little baby daughter, Blakely. Um, She's a little over two weeks now. Um, She's doing great. Mama's doing great. Um, We're getting a very reasonable amount of sleep, which I'm very excited about. Um, And it's been just a a fun new journey for us to take. And um, we've really been just enjoying every minute of it. But also want to, while I continue to enjoy that, also want to get back to other things I enjoy, like the Bible breakdown and teaching the children and all that kind of stuff as well. So the bummer about the timing of my departure was that we finished the Bible while I was gone. So cliffhanger, we didn't actually get a Bible breakdown where we finished Revelation. Um, I will give you the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, Jesus comes back and everything's awesome. There you go. That's how Revelation ends. For those who believe in him, uh, we get to be with Jesus forever. And uh, the place where we reside with him in the new heavens and the new earth, it's uh, his glory shines so brightly, there's no need for a sun. That's pretty cool. So that's how it ended. And we are going back to the very beginning with the Gospel Project material. We are in Unit 1, Session 1, Genesis 1. Okay, so we are all the way back at the very beginning, which I think as we go through this, Having just gone through Revelation, I think it's going to be pretty cool, actually, to see um, the beginning. And then as we go into uh, the fall, um, into where uh, Adam and Eve sin, um, the promise of redemption. And then, you know, we just finished up the the finish where it's everything is fully redeemed and made new. So it's going to be kind of cool just to have that in the back of our minds, I think, um, just remembering what God has for us in the future, even in the face of uh, the sin of humanity. So this week, though, we're just going to kind of go into... Uh, creation. So we're just going to be in Genesis 1. I'll read a little bit of it. We'll go briefly briefly through the days and kind of some significance uh, of some of these things. But I want to start out um, because anytime you talk about uh, creation, um, you think about, you know, what's taught in schools, um, even different like veins of Christianity and what they believe, um, you know, it's like creation versus science or however, you know, you've heard it. Um, I just want to give a brief kind of discussion to that, just so we can kind of go in with uh, eyes wide open and also with minds open um, on a couple of things. So the first thing I want to say um, is there are a lot of ways that you can believe that God created the world uh, or intelligent design might be the most blanket term. Um, though, of course, we believe that the God of the Bible is the creator, so he is the intelligent designer. And so we do believe in intelligent design more specifically by God. So uh, as pretty much everybody knows, whether they've got a church background or not, um, the Bible spells out uh, the earth being created uh, in six days, or rather the universe being created in six days. Um, and so, you know, there are some things that, you know, scientifically they'd say, well, this you know, carbon dating this, carbon dating that. So that has like some scientific discovery has led uh, some to believe that the six days of the scripture is um, not so much meant to specifically or literally spell out six days, but rather more eras, ages, um, just a way of describing in a palatable way how the earth came to be. So 
you can have uh, six day creationism. You can have creationism that um, has in scope like a, a longer period, one that might be in um, in line with uh, theistic evolution. So that uh, evolution happened, but it was all orchestrated by God, whereas, um, you know, a more scientific community would say that it was by accident, by chaos. Um, and I just want to say up front that it is it is OK for you to believe either of those things. You can be a gospel believing Christian and believe in six day creation and not be stupid, by the way, because people will accuse you of that. And that's real rude. And they shouldn't. But you can also be someone who really ascribes to maybe not maybe it's not a literal six day creation. And you can also still believe that God is the creator and orchestrator of all those things and be a gospel believing Christian. OK, so I want to go ahead and put that up front. Um, this is not a salvation issue. Um, it's really just an issue of like, oh, how do we how do we interpret um, something that happened long ago that nobody was there for? How do we see like six days? But man, a lot's going on. So I, I don't want us to come down too hard either, on either end, um, not to think like, oh, six day creationism is old hat. You can't believe that. Or like, well, if you don't believe in six days, you don't believe in scripture. And that means you don't believe in God. Like ne neither of those is, a, in my opinion, a uh, an appropriate way to interact um, with other believers, um, because ultimately what we're going to see, the most important thing about Genesis 1, the world was created by God. It belongs to him. That's the most important thing. Now. For me, I'll give you my personal opinion on this, um, which you may or may not care about, but here it is anyway. Um, I am inclined to say that we don't we don't know what happened at the creation of the world other than what has been described to us here in Genesis. So for me, because science tends to change, science is not always uh, accurate, even in things that we would say, well, it's science, so it's fact. Um, sometimes the science changes, so that means the facts change. I'm, I'm comfortable believing in a six-day creation because, you know what, the only information I really have about what was going on there was what I've got in Genesis 1. And if I get to heaven and God's like, Blake, why are you believing in six-day creation? Obviously, it happened over X number of years. I'd be like, okay, well, I, I'll be okay being wrong on saying I'll take the Bible as literally as I can. So that's kind of where I land on it. I really, like, is not a huge issue to me as long as we are in agreement that God is the one who orchestrated and created the earth and that he did it in a personal manner that it wasn't some university stumbled upon and started ruling over as it's god or that he just like uh deism you know the blind clock maker um he just wound it up and watched it go like i believe that god created the world with purpose intention that he still is involved in our world so um that's kind of where i'm at with all of that i don't know exactly where you are but if you believe god created the world with intentionality then um, we've got the common ground we need there. So that's that's kind of my opinion on that. Um, I do also want to point out, this is a really interesting thing about Genesis. So um, just like there's multiple civilizations with flood stories, there are multiple civilizations with creation stories, as you can imagine, right? Every Everybody kind of thinks like, how did the earth get here? And you can imagine that over the uh, millennia that humans have existed, um, that people would start to create stories and wonder about them. Well, Something really interesting about some other civilizations, um, their stories involve the world being created out of chaos. Um, so some of them involve like um, gods in their pantheon fighting and then out of that, like the creation of the world. Um, you even think about the, the idea of the Big Bang, like that it's created out of an explosion, you know, of these this matter, like that the world came to be out of that. 
and there's multiple civilizations with kind of these chaotic creation stories, but the Bible is different. It shows that the God of the Bible created not out of chaos. It wasn't in the midst of conflict, but he created out of order and he created with design. So something that really stands out about um, the Judeo-Christian creation story is that our God doesn't, he wasn't competing. He wasn't in conflict. Um, there wasn't chaos, but there was nothing. And then there was something he created out of nothing. Ex nihilo, if you've ever heard that phrase used to uh, Latin, I believe um, that he created out of nothing. He created it with order and design. So um, we see there even a uniqueness um, right, right from the get go of the creation narrative of the Bible. Uh, and like I said, most important thing, Genesis one, God created the world. It belongs to him. If we read the entire Bible with that in the back of our heads at all times, uh, we will be able to read the Bible in a lot healthier way. Cause sometimes we read it and say, well, what do I feel about that? What do I think about that? How does that interact with what, um, I, what my actions are, my thoughts are, my emotions are. Um, and that's, and that's all well and good, but if it's not leading us to how does this help me obey the God of the Bible? How does this help me give glory to the God of the Bible? The one who created the world, then we are, uh, becoming, making the Bible a little bit more like our personal handbook. Um, and sometimes we see things in the Bible that don't make us feel great because they confront something in us that we don't want to confront ourselves. Um, so if we're looking at it from a purely subjective personal standpoint, we're going to have trouble in some of those areas where we bump up against it. So remembering that this world is created by God, we are created by God and that we exist and belong to him, um, really helps us read the, the script, all of the scripture in a healthy way. It's really a, the, the main thing we take from Genesis one. So jumping in now a little bit to the days, we'll just go over that briefly. Um, this is a, I remember I grew up in a uh, Christian private school. And so we had to, you know, take quizzes over what the six days were. Honestly, for today, when I reviewed it, I probably wouldn't have been able to just offhand rem remembered everything. I remember that man is created on the sixth day and light on the first day and everything in between. I'm like, man, the other stuff came into being somewhere in there. So, uh, but you may, you may be like, no, I know every day. And I say, good for you. I wish I knew better, but we do have it here in Genesis one. So verse three, of Genesis 1. It says, and God said, "There, let there be light, and there was light. So this is day one. This is not just significance, significant because light was created, which is obviously plenty significant um, for light to be created out of nothing. But um, this too is just a, you could take this as a, just a theme that we see throughout scripture. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Anywhere that there is darkness where light is not when God is there, there is light. We see that in a lot of John's writings. We'll compare the light to the to the, to the dark. Um, wherever darkness is, where where God is, there's no longer darkness. God enters into darkness in the world, in our hearts, and literally in the universe. Um, that's his nature. His nature is to be light, to um, cast away darkness. Um, and that's something that has great significance throughout all of scripture and great significance um, in our lives and something that we can really hold on to and trust about him um, is that he is uh, a God that expels darkness um, in all sorts of spheres. Um, so day one, light and dark are uh, separated. Light is created. Um, and then boom, first day. Pretty significant, pretty simple. Uh, there's day one. So day two, we see the creation of uh, heaven slash the heavens. So 
the confusing part of English um, is that, and also Hebrew, it's not just in English. Um, heaven and heavens are kind of like they mean different things, but they're basically the same word. So um, a little bit of that is like it says in verse eight, God called the expanse heaven. In the ESV, it's got a capitalized H singular heaven. Um, and then it's got a little note that says, or sky. So it's kind of one of those things where, was it talking about him creating heaven, like the place where Jesus sits at God's right hand for now? Or is it talking about like the, the sky, all that kind of stuff? Not too significant, I don't think, because we know both of those things exist and that God created them. So um, maybe it means both at the same time. Uh, maybe it means at this time, both the sky and heaven were created. Don't 100% know, but we know at least one of those. And we know, again, that they both exist. So they were created at some point. Um, this is one of the more confusing days. And it's talking about separating like waters above the expanse, waters below. Um, there's like this theory out there about this like water canopy that used to exist over the earth. And that's why people lived longer and, and all this kind of stuff. That's entirely possible, I suppose. It's not well founded. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't bet your life on it, um, but it's entirely possible. Maybe that's what it's referring to here. Um, but what we do know is that um, there was separation. There was heaven and or sky here on the second day. So then moving into day three, we see that uh, the land is separated from water. So that separation of water makes a little more sense to us. Um, so not only were uh, did dry land appear, but also it was separated. Um, and then these uh, waters were separated and called the seas. And so that's what you imagine your globe, um, how it comes, comes together. That's probably what we've got in mind here. Um, and then God saw that it was good. That was day three. And then um, also on that day, oh, yes, already got, getting some vegetation on day three. Okay, so we see that in verse uh, 12, that there's already some plants yielding seed and trees bearing fruit. Okay, and it's, that's how the third day ends. Now, that does make you think, well, okay, what do um, plants need to survive? We know that they need water. We know that that is present. Um, we know that they need light. We know that light is present, but we're not actually getting the sun and the stars until day four. Does that lend us to believe to like, does that lead us to uh, a six day creation? Entirely possible. It could. Um, so, but we do see in this in day four that he creates uh, the lights in the expanse of the heavens. So here the ESV has decided that it's talking about the sky, which seems to make sense. And uh, allowing to be signs for seasons, for days and years, um, and then being light. So that's the creation of the sun, the stars, uh, the moons. Uh, I say moons because there's, there's more moons than just ours. Um, and those are created for a governing light during the day and then a softer light at night, um, which, of course, we know the moon reflects the sun. Um, and that's why it is a lighter light, um, all designed by God in that way. And uh, you think about the people who were reading this first, they had no idea that the sun reflected off the moon. They just thought the moon created its own light, probably. So that's kind of another one of those things where, you know, somebody might get real nitpicky and be like, well, the moon doesn't actually create light. And we're like, yeah, we know. It's just a perception thing. It's like when you say the earth or the sun stood still in the sky, the sun rises, the sun sets. We describe phenomena. And so for the scripture to describe phenomena instead of having 21st century scientific descriptions I don't think is very strange to me some people 
you know, people like to complain. That's okay. All right. So day five, now we are going to have animals galore. Okay. We've got the uh, fish, um, things in the ocean, things that are crawling on the ground, uh, birds. Um, and then we also are going to get um, the the livestock and all those kind of things. Um, this one is a very busy day, as you can imagine, all the different um, species that are created um, and all the different types and different places they live. And I do think this is really interesting, too, and something that I think gives us a little bit, sheds a little light maybe on, even on recent science. Um, verse 22, it says, and God blessed them. And this is talking about the, the fish and the, um, and the birds. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So that's actually uh, very similar to the uh, command that's going to be given to uh, the first man and woman, that they're to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and so uh, you may remember from science class that um, from a scientific evolutionary perspective, like the number one goal of all animals is to uh, reproduce. So all the things that they do are uh, kind of lent toward their ability to reproduce. They go to great risk to reproduce. They feed so that they're, they eat, so they're able to live so they can reproduce. Um, as I was reading this today, I was kind of like, you know what? Animals a lot of times and the earth are a little bit better at obeying God than we are. That's just reality. They have these instincts that God gave them and they often follow them. Now we do see brokenness in the animal and plant world too, because of the sin of humanity. But I'm like, well, God gave them this command to, um, to be fruitful and multiply. And if animals kind of chief driving force in their lives is to be fruitful and multiply, if we were to describe the, the science of it in kind of more biblical terms, like that sounds like maybe animals are just kind of living out their divine, uh, their divine imperative, you know, to be fruitful and multiply. So I see how that as a kind of a place where science and our faith converge in a way that makes a lot of sense. Animals are pretty good at obeying God. They, uh, unfortunately for us are, uh, well, I guess fortunately for them, they have a little less volition. And so they're able, they're more instinctual and they follow those instincts that God gave them. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I see that as a, a way that is kind of a explanatory of phenomena we see in the world, um, with how animals reproduce. And we see that God wanted them to, and to, uh, fill the waters in the seas, let birds multiply on the earth. I'm really not crazy about birds. I don't like things that fly that make me uncomfortable. Maybe if I could fly, I would feel less uncomfortable around them. But uh, he wants the birds to multiply on the earth. And so, again, I'm like, all right, world, the world belongs to God. I have to be okay with all those gross winged creatures that fly around. And especially when you're eating outside and they come up. And, oh, man, I hate that. All right. Got a little sidetracked there. Day six, very important day in creation. Verse 26 in chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so uh, humanity is made special and not only made special, but also with a special purpose. So not only will we see that God is going to tell them to be fruitful and multiply, which is in verse 28, but also that they're to have dominion over the world, basically. So dominion, uh, I think in English comes off a little bit more aggressive. Um, 
but this this word is more like a stewardship it's not a like you need to dominate the fish of the sea or the birds of the heavens but rather like it's a call to have stewardship over the fish of the sea the birds of the heavens livestock over all the earth every creeping thing um, that applies i think to vegetation as well um, that is part of our our divine imperative um, and that part of that is because we are made in God's image, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, so this uh, verse 26, this is a great example of what we would call in the scripture progressive revelation. OK, so progressive revelation means in, when we're talking about scripture is that the scripture reveals God over time and in different ways. OK, so. Let's say, you know, the prophets, like Old Testament prophets. Um, let's think Isaiah. A lot of prophecies about Jesus. Um, a lot of times we read around the Christmas story, okay? Isaiah had this certain amount of knowledge about what he was prophesying that God gave him to prophesy, but he didn't know the full story of how it would play out, right? Um, he didn't know that um, God would come to earth to be born of a virgin, live as a baby, live as a man, uh, all that kind of stuff. But he prophesied things that later we realize, oh, okay, that's what that means. So that's the idea of progressive revelation. As, as we go through scripture, more and more of God's design, his plan is revealed. Okay. And so this is a good example in this way. So you notice the plurals here, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, so there's some plurals as God is kind of talking to himself in a way. Okay, so the the writer of Genesis, which is traditionally ascribed to Moses, um, this is the the way that it has been written that God is saying, "Let us make man in our image." Now I'm going to tell you something, and you you may know this, but you may not, and it is a little bit startling, I guess. Uh, Pretty much for all of Christian history, no, 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 take that back. For all of, let's call it like Jewish history. So from the time of Genesis really until maybe the apostles in the first century, um, the idea of the Trinity was not something that um, Jewish believers, believers in Israel really knew about God. Okay. They did not have a robust, yes, God exists as one God existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is not how the people of Israel, um, how Abraham, how Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them, that's not how they understood God. They did not really know that God was triune like we know now. Okay. Um, and that's what I mean by progressive revelation. Did they need to know that God was Trinity at, you know, in Egypt when they were leaving to trust God? Like, no, they chose to act in faith. Did Abraham need to know that God was triune when he said, come and go to a land I'm going to show you, I'm going to make you a great nation? Like, no, he knew what he knew at the time and he trusted God, he had faith. So when we read this um, as New Testament believers, we see, oh, this is like the language of Trinity. Like, let us make man in our image. Like, this is God talking to um, spirit and son uh, about, you know, how creating man in the image of the entire Godhead. Um, whereas in when the original audience would have been reading this, they may have understood it differently. So in Hebrew, 
um, there is something called a plural of majesty. So that would be you describe something that is singular as a plural to give it additional honor and glory. Okay. I think that is entirely possible what's going on here, at least how the original audience would have understood it. That when they were originally being read this, again, probably from Moses, that they would say, ah, okay, this is a way of God explaining himself in a majestic, glorifying way to show who he is, which is entirely true. God is majestic. He is glorious. He is deserving of all honor and praise. But and now as we look back, we could we could still see it as that, but we also see it in a different light. We see it as this is also the language of Trinity. This is one of this is a passage we go back to now as, as we search the scripture for, okay, we believe God exists in Trinity. What are the reasons we believe that? This is one of the ones we look at. But the original audience may not have actually seen it that way. So just wanted to explain that briefly, um, just to give some color to that. Um that's not, again, that's more of a, like, this appears to be what it is. I'm not saying, you know, it's not in scripture. Oh, this is a plural of majesty. It wasn't totally understood that there was a trinity. That's not um, explicit. But um, we do see throughout the Old Testament that there does not seem to really be recognition that um, God exists in three persons. So just thought I'd lay that little nugget there for you. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about what it means to be in God's image as we, as we start to wrap up. Um, I've got four things. There's more, um, but here's a few of the things that um, are about being in God's image. Because remember, uh, God is not uh, have arms and legs and a torso um, like we do. Jesus did as he lived as a human. He came in the likeness of man, but God is spirit. Okay, so um, to be to have arms and legs and hair and eyes and ears is not what it means to be created in the image of God. Okay, so I think that's important. We're not talking about like a physical description. Um, but what it does mean is a few different things. So one, um, it's that humans are creative. So I'm not saying you have to be good at art, but we are meant to create. We are meant to produce things. Um, we are meant to, we have the ability to create new things. Um, whereas if you're running along in the forest and you see a deer, you're not going to see him uh, sawing logs with a uh, chainsaw because he does not have the ability to create those kinds of things, nor would his bovine hooves do very well with that. So that is something special about humanity. We are creative. We are creating. We are meant to create things, produce things. So that is one way we image God. Um, another is having rule and dominion. Okay. None of the other things created were given this task to have rule and dominion. Humans were God has rule and dominion over all the earth, over all of us. He has, selected us as our as his ambassadors in the world to also take care of the earth a third way that we image god is in being relational we were created for community later on when it goes into more detail about the creation of man it's going to say it is not good that the man should be alone not because the man lacked anything he had god but rather god recognized and has created us to be he has created us to be he didn't recognize he obviously he created it so anyways getting sidetracked he created us to be in community, to be relational, not only with one another, but also with him. So we were created to image God and being relational. Again, you go into the woods, you see the deer, you can talk to it. It won't understand. It will be scared. It will run away. It will not be a very good person to talk about your problems with. But some humans are. Some humans might have a 
similar reaction to the deer. But some humans are really good at listening to those kind of things. We are created for community. That's a way we image God because God exists eternally in community within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then value. And this is probably the biggest one. And since we're running low on time, I'll just kind of finish here. Everybody has value because they are created in the image of God. Think about the most important person in the world, the least important person in the world, in the world, um, the person with the most power, the person with the least power, um, the wealthiest person, the poorest person, the nicest person, the meanest person. Okay. The best person, the worst person, all of those people have, and everyone in between have intrinsic value that is ascribed to them because they have been created specially in the image of God. And if we live our lives thinking about other people as other people in the image of God, rather than other people who we, um, you know, ascribe value to based on how much we like them, how much they contribute to society, you know, whatever else it may be. Um, it's, it changes the way we act toward one another. Uh, I don't think that we find the institution of slavery existing ever in human history. If everyone was believing, wait, we're all created in the image of God. Nobody should be subservient to one another in a way that is forced or makes them demeaned into less of a person. So we image God because we image God, we have value. We've been given intrinsic value by our creator. So as believers, our responsibility is to promote that value in others and to treat others with that value. And in that way, we image God, we point people to God. So that is our dive into Genesis 1. We've got a lot more Genesis to come. We've got a little more creation. We've got some fall. We've got some sin. We've got, well, we've got a lot of sin in all of Genesis, but it's going to be a good time. Thanks for taking the time to listen and hope this is helpful as we go into God creating the world.